everyone and welcome to episode 7 of Really Bad Ideas, the continuing adventures of Dejack, Alabuk and Lutze as they bumble around Esthia looking for the shiny magic things to tame their shiny magic dreams. I'm Carl, their GM and scheming mastermind behind their inevitable downfall. Welcome back to those of you joining us fresh off the back of episode 6. We rejoin the party just as they've been reunited with their barbarian Dejack who had been fighting with the party's prospective allies, the Gallowed, to defend them against a rival gang, the Keel. The party returned along with a ruby that Dar Dimplefoot had stolen from the leader of the Keel, Nathaniel. One of the higher-ups in the Gallowed, Zeke, had just used this ruby to stop the fighting. And it's here we'll continue with really bad ideas. Session 7. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> Riding high and feeling good off the back of two concurrent victories, the party are keen to celebrate, which they do. They spend the night in the hangman with the gallowed, tossing back ale and regaling each other with stories of what's happened in their time away. During the celebrations, the jack once again gets talking to the member of the gallowed known as Fetch, a full orc and once member of the Blue Tribe. During their conversation, Fetch reiterates what he knows about the Black Tribe of Dragons. The tribe Dejack's mother is rumoured to be visiting next. He tells Dejack that the village is based in the Chelwood to the north, and that, if their champion hasn't yet bonded his weapon, they will be having to go through a challenge in order to do so. Dejack is mildly perplexed by this. Why would his mother have taken the green tribe's sacred weapon and visit other tribes in the area, and why is the red tribe's champion chasing her? This doubles his resolve. They must travel to the Black Dragon Village as soon as they are able. After the night of revelry, they awake and plan to set out. As the party is about to leave the Gallard, however, a meaty hand slaps onto the shoulder of Dar Dimplefoot. It's Zeke. Dar, I don't think you should leave. I think you should stay with us while we're negotiating with the Keel. You've caused a lot of trouble, and now you're going to have to pay for your actions, you understand? Dar is naturally hesitant. See, come on, we're mates now. I'm sure you can solve all that stuff without me here. Now, you're staying. It's orders from the top. You're not going anywhere. The party, to be honest, don't seem to be particularly annoyed by this decision. Uh, some of them are actually positively joyous about leaving Dar behind because of all the trouble he's caused. And so, with a mixture of fond goodbyes and absolute jeers, the party leave Magnamar, heading towards the Churlwood and the Black Dragon tribe. <laughs> It must be said that the instructions given by Fetch were actually quite vague. The Churlwood is a large place, and there's actually no real way of telling where the Black Dragon tribe is. This reminds me of an incident in a previous group whereby I implied that something was happening in an area of woodland, and they ran off and decided to spend three days literally just searching the wood for any sign of what was going on. Uh, in that particular instance, I had a werewolf attack them and drive them off towards the main plot. It worked quite well, but fortunately I didn't have to do that here. Fortunately, two members of the party, Trick and Jezebel, actually come from a druidic circle within this wood. Isn't that lovely and convenient? As such, they are aware of the general area of the Black Dragon Village, but not necessarily its exact location. But it gives them a place to start. Some fortunate survival checks enable them to pick up on tracks. The druids know that their kind would not leave such tracks in the woods, and so they follow them. A short amount of time later, they find themselves peeking in at the Black Dragon Village. It's important to note 
that for the tribes of dragon orcs, they tend to try and embody the aspect of the dragon which shares their blood. For black dragons, their aspect is acid, much in the same way as it is for green dragons like the jack. This area of the forest is a natural swamp. As such, the homes of the black dragon village are on stilts. As these stilts enter the sodden ground around the village, you can see where the acidic nature of the soil and the swampy ground is eating away at the wood. Occasionally, large pockets of swamp gas erupt from the earth with a belching kind of noise, lending a slightly hostile atmosphere to the place. From their vantage point, the party can clearly see a few villagers, and boldly make their way into the village, holding up their hands to show that they are not armed. The villagers themselves seem slightly concerned until they notice that the jack displays some orcish characteristics. I suppose it doesn't help that they're accompanied by two druids, both with dangerous-looking animals. The jack quickly proceeds to ask about speaking to the chief. He doesn't want to give away that he's there about the champion or the contest, but he's keen to find out as much as he can as quickly as he can. Seeing him as kin and being a friendly type of people, the villagers quickly introduce the jack to the chief, Gulm. He greets them warmly, and offers them a place to sit and talk within his home. Once there, the jack employs a tried and tested method of trying to pry information out of people. He offers the chief a drink. A round of conversation and some lucky diplomacy checks help the party to reveal that the chief's son is currently undergoing some sort of test at one of their temples to the north. Intriguing. The party quickly wrap up the meeting and head off. Roughly an hour's travel north of the village, they come across a rather strange sight. Sticking out of the ground is a black, glass-like orb being held in a stone carving of what appears to be a dragon's claw. Look, you can be really subtle with clues, but sometimes you've just got to slap your party in the face with them, right? Fortunately, Dejack's immediate instinct is to approach the orb and to put his hand on it. I say fortunately, because this is just what I wanted him to do, and is indeed the key to the dungeon. He feels a slight twinge and stinging pain, pulls his hand away from the orb to find it covered in blood. However, as he does so, a small section of the floor of the swamp opens up, revealing a ladder and a long tunnel downwards. As the party reach the bottom of the ladder, they find themselves set in a room with one enormous stone wall, into which has been carved a large dragon. Off to the side of this is a huge chain. Each of the links is the size of a man's arm. As the party approach the chain to investigate, a chittering sound from the other corner of the room reaches their ears, and they are pounced on by what they will come to realise is a rust monster. Rust monsters are one of those really cool uh, creatures from the bestiary that have a really interesting mode of attack. So it's a, it's an insect, it's got four legs, feathery antennae, that kind of thing. Kind of looks like a large flea, but with fluffy antenna. And by themselves, they're not particularly dangerous. However, they do have one particular skill that causes parties to freak out the first time they encounter them more often than not. And that is rust. It's a supernatural ability whereby if the monster's antenna uh, touch any of the metal objects that the party are carrying, those metal objects basically start to rust and corrode and they can break. And if you've got party members that are particularly attached to their weapons, much like the Jack is with his axe, this can quickly cause a party to freak out and start to run away screaming. 
And that's just what happens. Cries around the table of, What do you mean he does damage to my weapon? So I can't use that again afterwards. Oh no, no, get it away, get it away. Someone hit with spells or bows or something. Just don't let it near me. But the fun can't last forever. And eventually the rust monster is defeated, leaving the matter of the chain. The party approach it once more. And a quick test from Jack makes him realize that he can't lift it by himself. But not only that, when he touches it, it begins to burn. The metal is coated with some form of acid. Do you see the theme there? Eventually he manages to convince the party that they all need to grab on it and pull, and between them they all start making strength checks to pull the chain. Every time they need to pull, they take damage from the acid. Every time they fail a strength check, they need to keep pulling. Eventually the door opens, leading the way to the first interior room of the temple. In this room there are two orbs, just like the ones we saw in the swamp. One on the left of the room, one on the right of the room. Thinking, aha, we know what's going on here. The Jack immediately places his hand onto the leftmost orb, causing the leftmost wall to part. Beyond the door, he can see a pile of glittering treasure. Aha, he thinks. Why would the GM put something there if it wasn't a trap? And yes, that's a bit metagamey, but who can blame him? He walks over and puts his hand on the right-hand orb, opening the right-hand wall, at which point four giant centipedes spill out into the room and a fight breaks out. This is one of those rooms I think it benefits to get a little bit of GM perspective on. Because the treasure in the left-hand room is real, it's genuine treasure. However, that entire room is a gelatinous cube. It's transparent, the players can't see it, they don't know what it is. But I had intended that as soon as they saw the treasure, they would dive in, get paralyzed by the cube, and all hell would break loose. What actually happened is they opened both of the rooms and started paying attention solely to the giant centipedes. <laughs> so what happened is Jezebel backed away, started firing arrows at the centipedes as this fight was happening, ended up backing into the gelatinous cube as it was coming the other way out of the left-hand side room. The look on Jezebel's player's face as I described the sensation of her back going numb, followed by the rest of her, and then described to the other players about how Jezebel suddenly started to float in the middle of the room, was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> the party managed to free Jezebel before she succumbs to unconsciousness, dealing with the giant centipedes and popping the skin of the gelatinous cube, causing it to burst out acid everywhere. I got a lot of complaints for that encounter, I can tell you. <laughs> Within each room they find a small amount of treasure, and also one white lever and one black lever. At least, they resemble levers and they look as if they can be slot into something. However, there is no recesses in the room in which it's obvious they would fit. This is something I kind of intended to stymie the players for a little while. However, they managed to get round it by pressing both orbs at the same time and opening the main door in the room. I was really proud of them, but at the same time, really sad that that didn't work for longer. The room beyond is dominated by a large wall at the other end. It's obvious that we can see another orb on top of that wall. However, it's going to take a long climb for the players to get up there. The wall is approximately 40 feet high. As the players enter, I describe the doors slamming closed. As they do, I place my phone on the table where everyone can see it with a timer set at three minutes, and I press start. 
I describe the hissing sound that's going on in the room, and the smell as acrid gas wafts into their nostrils. The players search around the base of the room and discover vents allowing the entry of the noxious gas. They're starting to feel woozy, but they manage to find enough debris within the room to stuff these holes closed. Figuring that this will buy them enough time to climb the wall, they do so. And some very successful checks mean that they all manage to make it to the top in time, place their hand on the orb, and make it through to the next room, relatively unscathed. Third room is longer than it is wide. In front of the party are three orbs set across the width of the room. The wall on the left-hand side of the room, immediately next to these orbs, is pitted and corroded. By this point, the players have gotten used to the theme that they need to put their hands on the orbs. However, a quick test with one of them reveals that once something is placed on one of the orbs, a jet of acidic flame akin to a black or green dragon's breath attack erupts from the right-hand side wall, burning into the left-hand side wall. Now they know the cause of the damage. Now I must admit, my players are quite intelligent, and they managed to figure out pretty much straight away that they would need to activate all three orbs at the same time. However, they don't want to be there when it happens. What they ended up doing was tying rags soaked with Jack's blood to the ends of weapons that had reach on them uh, and used them to touch the orbs from afar, thereby opening the door. There was only a little bit of frustration when I told them that activating the door didn't cause the breath weapon to activate. But still... They've now made it through to the next room. Fifth room is a large cavern, in the centre of which exists a platform, 25 feet away from the rim where the players currently are. On that platform sits an orc, cross-legged, looking as if he's in prayer. In front of him sits a long spiked chain. The party make to call out to the orc, but before they can, a figure descends from the ceiling on dragon-like wings. It hits the floor behind the meditating orc and withdraws a large, double-bearded great axe from its back. Dejack gasps. That's his axe. That's his mother. And she's... The meditating orc turns at the last second, raising the chain whip to bot the attack from the aggressing orc, and a short scuffle ensues. The party run around the rim of the room trying to find a way across. However, it seems that Dejack's mother is a skilled combatant, too skilled for the black champion at least, and soon he's brought low by a great cleaving swipe from her axe. Once the deed is done and breathing heavily, she turns to face the party, locking eyes with Dejack. She raises the axe over her head and says, Next, the blue. Launching herself into the air on her wings, she flies through a hole in the ceiling leaving the party alone with the dead orc. In the quiet, the party reflect on what's just happened and focus on the main priority. We need to get over there and loot the body. Eventually they manage to rig up a system whereby Dejack climbs the wall, which forms a sort of dome in the room. Doing so brings him above the platform in the centre. He then uses a rope to travel down, picking up the chain and rolling over the corpse of the now-deceased black champion to check if there's any more loot on him. There isn't. This guy was on a pilgrimage. Stashing the chain in their pack, the party head back outside, deciding that they will never mention this to the black tribe's leader, or anyone else. They decide to head back to Magnamar, if for no other reason than to try and get some information from Fetch as to where the blue orcs are located. But as they're about to set off, a raven lands on Jezebel's shoulder with a message. 
And that's where we'll end the session. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed uh, today's story. I really enjoyed designing this dungeon for the players. Uh, I think it has a few good puzzles in it. And it really helped inform one of the later dungeons that I'm going to talk about. So I hope you'll enjoy listening about that when the time comes. If you'd like some more tales from Esfthia, please join me at my website, reallybardideas.com, where I now have two short stories up from Esthia, looking at the different ways in which magic can be used. And I've also recently started a series looking at the mythos of Esthia, beginning with the creation myth, how everything began, its gods, its magic, where it all came from. Make sure to leave me a like and subscribe, and I look forward to having you next time for Really Bad Ideas, Session 8, BDE, Bandits, Druidic Emergency. <laughs> <laughs>